Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. My name is Blake Lambert Hack, and this season I will be covering deaths and hauntings in the city of Salem, Massachusetts, with a different special guest every week. Tonight is the season finale, but if you want some extra content, don't forget I have recently started a Patreon. Um, but that being said, the guest tonight is a close friend from high school and an amazing musician, Bethany Brewer. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> this is so fun. Thank you so much for joining me. A uh, couple questions up front. How would you describe a ghost? Oh, like Casper. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Casper the friendly ghost, nice and white and... Uh... No, um, I mean, uh, yeah, supernatural, but I don't know, is it undead? Um. <laughs> no, that's right, there's like, no right or wrong answer, it's literally just your interpretation of it, you know, you oh could say, God. they're not real, it's yeah. whatever you feel. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever, like, I've never personally experienced any anything right. supernatural, which I'm thankful for, because I think that would <laughs> keep me up every single night of my life, but, I mean, from what I've seen, too, you know... And from what I've heard, I mean, it, it's it, it's crazy. It takes several different forms, right? If it's just right. like an orb or, um, yeah, or, you know, something moving doors around, <laughs> right? Or right, I know right. one of my, my neighbors said, too, that, like, she, her mom literally saw her neighbor um, who had passed away, like, two years ago, you know, just somewhere in their house. Yeah. So, like. That's odd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what are you doing here? Exactly. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I would do. I would like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you believe in ghosts then? Or... I think I, I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. I think... I know that they are... They exist. But I am thankful that so far I have not gotcha. had any encounters with them. Okay. Tonight we're going to discuss murders attributed to the Boston Strangler. Okay. He's kind of infamous. Um, but I wanted to just like give a warning ahead of time. I don't n- normally give a warning because usually it's not super intense, but I wanted to, you know, we're going to be talking about murder, of course. Um, there is talk of sexual assault and other like slightly triggering topics for anybody listening. So I'm not going to go into any crazy detail, but just a couple things that are pertinent to the topic but uh, if you're sensitive um you can skip to wherever we get into paranormal talk because that's way more chill uh but yeah this is a huge case and a lot of like facts play come into play at this point so we're gonna talk about that are you ready let's dive in <laughs> do you know much about the boston strangler i actually i don't think i've i've heard of him okay or her fair or them that's great starting point. So with that, let's let's get started. It's the early morning of September 8th, 1963. Evelyn Corbin, uh, she's a 58-year-old woman, and she invited her elderly neighbor, Flora Manchester, over to breakfast before she left for Mass. 
Evelyn lived alone in an apartment on the first floor across the hall from Flora. After breakfast, Flora headed back to her apartment around 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Evelyn was the type of person to be set in her ways. Like, she always went to Mass Sunday mornings. She always picked up her Sunday paper at the neighborhood drugstore that sat across the street from the apartment. Like, she was... I mean, she's 58. She knows what she likes. Yeah. (laughs) When Flora noticed that Evelyn hadn't been seen after they had breakfast, she became extremely worried and called the police that afternoon. Salem detective John Moran and his partner Charlie entered Evelyn's apartment around 1.30 p.m. where they found her on the bed half naked with two silk stockings knotted around her neck. And they knew immediately Evelyn had been strangled to death. So that's where we're going to start. Silk stockings. I don't even, yes. didn't even know that those existed. I guess, yeah, that's a good question. I guess in the 60s, that was probably all they wore were silk stockings. Makes sense. Wow. Nowadays, people don't wear stockings. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like, we've moved past that era. <laughs> yes, thankfully. But it sounds luxurious, silk stockings. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go back to June 14th, 1962. So about like a year and some change earlier, about 15 months before Evelyn's murder, when the body of a 56 year old woman was discovered murdered in Boston. So Evelyn was murdered in Salem. That's why I'm adding this to the season, even though this is the Boston Strangler and a lot of it takes place in Boston. Evelyn's happens in Salem and we'll get back to that a little later but very similar age though right yes 58 and now 56 year old and that's what you know if you watch true crime and things like that it's like FBI and detectives make a point of being like this is a uh an MO of a murderer you know things line up a specific way and that's something we'll also get into a little bit in this story okay but thus far you're right it's like very similar yeah 56-year-old woman was discovered murdered in Boston. She was strangled with her bathrobes belt. Her name was Anna Seltzer. Anna's murder was just the beginning of all of this. About two weeks after Anna's murder, a 68-year-old woman named Nina Nichols was found strangled with her nylon stockings. Oh my gosh. She also lived in Boston. And it wasn't until the discovery of a third victim did police believe that a serial killer was actually active in Boston. So, you know, we talk a lot in true crime, we talk a lot about jurisdictional issues yeah, in America. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's all happening within one city, but there's so many departments and, you know, there's a lot of people in Boston. It's yeah. just one of those things that you don't necessarily connect them. Of course. But with this third victim police were pretty confident something more was happening than just people my goodness yeah Yeah. victim number three her name was helen blake of lynn massachusetts and lynn massachusetts is just north of boston helen was 65 years old and was found strangled with her nylons and a bra and the nylons being tied in a bow so it was like a very specific, like, uh, I'm trying to blank on all these terms. It's a specific, like, signature. 
right. that this sure. killer has. Like, the knots yeah. are being tied in a very specific way. Okay. You know, like, I only know how to tie maybe two knots. Yeah. And that kind of says, like, I guess, like, knots say something about the person. Like, if you yeah. have a sailor's knot. Right. They're either part of the Navy or they're fishermen or things right. like that. Or you have, like, a Boy Scout, Scout knot or you have things yeah. like that. It's like... This is like a huge clue for please. Sure. Well, I, I I feel like I I view a bow, too. It's like a pretty feminine thing. True. So that's interesting. Yes, that is interesting. Okay. Only three weeks after Helen's murder, another victim was discovered in Boston on August nineteenth, nineteen sixty two. A 74-year-old Ida Erga was also strangled to death. However, this was the first time a victim had been posed. So the other one, other women were um, sexually assaulted and then strangled to death and just like left on their bed or whatever. Sure. Um, Ira was, same things happened to her, but then she was also posed in a very specific, suggestive position, oh unfortunately. Yeah. All of the women were sexually assaulted, like I said, but they were strang- and were strangled. And the murders were so brutal, like blood was dripping out of victims' ears. That's how bad it was. Oh my gosh. And uh, because of the fabric that was so tight around their neck. Sure. So it was oh like horrible. God. Like, yeah. I think that also is why they thought it was the same person. Because not only does isn't the knots very similar, but all of the items being similar, like stockings or found things in the house like the person didn't bring the murder weapon they found it in the house sure you know yeah uh and then just the brutality was also a big part of it so it's the hunt is on i guess you should say it's like yeah i hope so really bad at this point so the news picked up these stories rather quickly the serial killer was being called the mad strangler of boston at first uh, thanks to the Sunday Herald. However, other news stations called the unknown man Phantom Fiend or Phantom Strangler because there was like no evidence found at these crime scenes. It's also the 60s, so sure. you can take that with a grain of salt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the police were having a really hard time finding any evidence okay. relating to the person that broke in. Yeah, so I know you mentioned, right, that they were all sexually assaulted, but yeah, I mean, were those? I know there now we have testing kits and things like that. Right. Those were not, of course, I don't a think, thing. Yeah, oh, man, I know. I don't think, yeah, the uh, rape kits and stuff like that was a thing back then, unfortunately. But yeah, the, uh, no evidence. And then that being said, I said broken, but there was even no signs of anyone breaking into the place. Oh my goodness! Which is also hard to believe. Yeah, because. When you have a murder and you don't see a break-in, usually it's like, oh, they knew the person. Sure. Right. Having all these women know one person is very unlikely, especially because they're from different, like, three are from Boston, one's from Lynn, so it's like, seems a little weird that they'd all just let this person in. Right. As, like, an older woman who's, like, living by themselves. I was going to say, you know, given the ages that you mentioned, too, it's not like I don't picture, you know, I mean, if they are, then good for them. But I don't, (laughs) you know, I don't picture those those age of women 
um, yeah, just, you know, entertaining men often, right? right? Like, exactly. it's not, you know, it's <laughs> normally past, you know, I mean, if, if that was the case for them, then, Work. you know, snaps. <laughs> Good for them. No, I agree. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we'll find out a little bit later why, but at this point, it it's strange, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It wasn't until investigative reporters for the record American, which I think is a newspaper, uh, Jean Cole and Loretta McLaughlin, they wrote a four-part series calling him the Boston Strangler, which that is the name that stuck. You know, all these newspapers had their own names for him, but the Boston Strangler is the one that stuck. And then despite all the media attention that like everyone was writing about this, uh, the attacks didn't stop, which is also another strange occurrence. Because usually, you know, you get tons of media attention and they'll stop for some a little bit, just kind of like lay low or they'll double down and write a note to the news, sure. you know, like yes. a, uh, the Zodiac Killer did and stuff like that. But yeah, the, the attacks didn't stop in Boston, even with all the attention. So oh. two days after Ira's murder, another victim was found. 67-year-old Jane Sullivan was found in Boston with two stockings knotted around her neck. Mm. And her head was submerged in a tub of water. Mm. After Jane's murder, the attacks did seem to stop. So for three months, there weren't any strangled victims found in Boston or the surrounding area. But that didn't stop the city of Boston and the surrounding area from like living in fear. Yeah. You know, even though you weren't getting like every day or every other day, it seemed like you were getting news about another victim. Yeah. And so for three months, they weren't getting that, but that didn't stop anybody from being living in constant fear yeah. of what may happen. No, um, understandably. I mean, what number are we at at this point? I think five. Five. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. With just within like a month or two. Like yes. Very. I saw a photo, um, and I'm going to post it on Instagram, but people were putting like uh, empty wine bottles and stuff in front of their door. So if someone broke in all the... Bottles would be knocked over, it'd make noise, that okay, kind of thing. Yes. Like people were taking like all types of precautions. Yeah. Having months without another victim also almost makes the fear worse. Cause by three by month three you kind of slowly put your guard down thinking it's over. But it wasn't, of course. Uh, on December fifth, nineteen sixty two. 20-year-old Sophie, <laughs> Sophie Clark was found in her Boston apartment strangled to death by her nylon stockings. Mm. Her roommate was the one to find her, which is rough. No. That's horrible. Oh, my gosh. Sophie's murder was an oddity, right? She's yeah. the first woman that's not older than 50. Right. 20 years old. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Sophie was also black, which also was very different from the previous victims. All okay. the first five were, or five or six were older white women. And now this woman's a black 20 year old. And I think she lived by uh, Boston University. So I think she may have been going to school at Boston University. But uh, 
because of the like even though she was strangled by her nylon similarly to the thing they police weren't convinced it was the same person so they were viewing it as like a copycat like oh, okay sure you know the first victims have been all over the news so people yes. kind of knew how they died yeah you know uh this is when fear like really ramped up because mm-hmm. like no woman was safe right before it's like okay if you're over than 50 then you are probably crazy in fear but now yes. it's like any age literally anyone right any race, any nationality, any anything. It's like, you're not safe. Yes. Uh, I would have moved right out of Boston at that point, I think. Right. <laughs> I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm going to, you figure this out. Yeah. I'll come back when this is over because <laughs> exactly. that's far too much. Um, yeah, almost every newspaper printed a Boston Strangler story every day. Like, oh it was God. huge. And... People were so worried, like I was saying, that like the pound worth dogs were was completely empty. Like everyone bought a dog. Yes. Uh, to help, you know, in case someone may have broken in. So like That's the so pounds were empty. Wow. There was a shortage of locks at uh, like sure. hardware stores. Yeah. Uh, the city became like a ghost town where like nobody was walking the streets. Like if you were. You were either at work or in your house. Everyone yeah. stayed inside. Yeah. But even with all the precautions being taken, another woman lost her life. Oh 22-year-old Patricia Bisset, Bisset was found strangled to death on December 31st. And uh, her death marks the third woman living in Fenway, Boston, to die from being strangled by her own nylon stockings. Okay. So I think for police, it's like, we have some kind of like, I don't want to say hub, but you know, yeah, a neighborhood that they a... can kind of focus on. Right. Gosh, can you imagine just like one person having that much effect on a whole, that huge of an effect on an entire oh city? Oh my God. Right. Yeah. It's insane. That's so crazy. And I think it was so much because the police didn't have a lead. Right. They had nothing. Nothing at So all. I think that's what makes it worse. Now, if the police are like, you know what? We have a handful of leads. We're really confident in these, like, two or three people. Yes. It would be different. Totally different. Yeah. But, yeah, but because... anyone. Anyone. Patricia, again, is 22 years old. She's very young, which confused the police even more. Was the one man that is doing the killings getting bolder? And, Mm. you know, like, maybe at first... They were attacking older women because they were easier targets, sure. things like that. And now yeah. with the, I don't want to say success, but you know, yes. then they turned to younger women because that's what they really wanted. Or was it a completely different person? These are just like theories that the police were throwing out at the time. Yes. Um, the, another big option is, were there two separate serial killers at, in yeah. the same city at the same time? Which is like you very rare, but it has happened in the past. Yeah. Um, on top of that, there was no sign of forged entry in the house, like I was saying, and nothing was missing. So like burglary was ruled out. Sure. Uh, yeah. So the police were just confused as I'll get out at this point. Yeah. So the next murder came two months later on March sixth, nineteen sixty three. When 69-year-old Mary Brown was strangled in her home in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is about 
45 minutes to an hour northwest of Boston. Mary, however, was also beaten and stabbed. Which is the change of motive? Again, now we have younger women, different women of race, older women. Everyone's strangled, but there's slight differences in groups of these. Right. And after Mary's death, that brings us to Evelyn Corbin of Salem, who was strangled with her own stockings on September 8th, 1963. Mm-hmm. So the first one we talked about. Mm-hmm. So the victim count is getting very high at this point, but the police still didn't have anything. November 23rd, 1963, 22-year-old Joanne Marie Graff was discovered strangled to death in her Lawrence apartment. Again, with her own nylon stockings. Mm. 19-year-old Mary Sullivan was discovered strangled to death on January 4th, 1964, in her Boston apartment. After her death, the stranglings stopped. So, I don't even know how many we have. I think this is like 11 at this point, something like that. Like an obscene amount. That's obscene. Like it... But they didn't also just stay in Boston either. I mean, it, yeah. it spread. That's crazy. Yeah, the uh, I think three suburbs and then Boston. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, the police have exhausted every lead they had. Yeah. But they were no close to catching the murder or murderers than when they started. And that's when Boston created a multi-police unit bureau dedicated exclusively in catching the Boston Strangler. Sure. And I use Boston Strangler in quotes because we still don't know if it's one person, two people, several people. Right, yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. Even with all hands on deck, though, the police didn't find the Boston Strangler. In fact, it wasn't until March 1965 did a man awaiting trial for a string of rapes confess to being the Boston Strangler. So from nineteen sixty two to nineteen sixty five, police made no progress. They didn't find anyone, they didn't have any suspects by that point, and things kinda like seemed hopeless until this man confessed in March nineteen sixty five. For I don't want to say a different crime because they are like sexual assaults and stuff like that. But he wasn't even, he wasn't arrested for what the Boston Strangler. Sure, sure, sure. So. Huh. I, that doesn't feel like the end, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, things are done. Uh, he confessed. Lock him away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the easy thing. That's too right. easy. Yes. Oh, no. So on October 27th, 1964... So, five months before he confessed. Yes. A stranger entered a young woman's apartment posing as a detective. He tied her to her bed, sexually assaulted her, but quickly left saying, I'm sorry. He didn't murder her. Okay. He did sexually assault her. her But he apologized as he walked out, which is very strange. But... Because of this incident, the woman's description of the man led police to arrest a man called Albert DeSalvo. 
when papers released Albert's photo, many women came forward saying that he was the one that assaulted them. So now they arrested mm-hmm. him for this one woman's uh, case, but then all these other women came for- forward as well. Okay. And so this is... Albert's the one that confessed while he was waiting trial for all these rapes. Okay. He confessed to a fellow inmate that he assaulted all these women. So when he confessed to the police in March, the police were shocked by the level of accuracy Albert could detail about the crime scene or crime scenes since they initially didn't think it was him. So when he confessed, they were like, oh, it's just another person who wants their 15 minutes, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, But then he was very accurate with when they, when they questioned him about all the crime scenes. When the police looked into his life, they found that his childhood was abysmal. His father, Frank, was extremely abusive, not Mm -hmm. only to his children, but to his wife, Charlotte. He would bring home sex workers and have sex in front of his children. Frank was such a violent alcoholic that there was a time that he knocked out his wife's teeth and bent her fingers back until they broke in front of the kids. Like this man was like horrific. Yeah. He, and like not long after that, uh, Charlotte did divorce him and left him with the kids. Uh, The kids never saw Frank again, and it's no surprise that Albert was found torturing animals at Mm -hmm. a young age and shoplifting, amongst other issues. Mm -hmm. And Albert was first arrested at age 12 for robbery and battery. And I don't really want to get much into his life. Like, I think it's important that, like, many serial killers have similar backgrounds of, like, trauma. Yes. And that's, you know, but they... I don't know, it's like something about trauma within your, like, growing of age years causes some kind of, like, mental thing. It's terrible. Right. But then, like, but then on the flip side, it's like Albert's siblings also went through all these horrible things and didn't kill anyone. So it's it's hard. Yeah. That's what therapy's for. Right. Get a therapist. Right. Even if you're not torturing animals, a therapist is lovely. (laughs) I know. I'm glad. I mean, obviously, yes, we... Yes, as a whole, America has a lot of places to grow in. But I feel like definitely we are taking some like mental health aspects much more seriously these days. Thank God, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, I know. I just want to, yes. I'm just going to touch briefly on his life because it does, yeah. it's like a timeline thing. So Albert enlisted in the army. He was sent over to Germany in 1949 after his training. Uh, in German, he in Germany he met his wife. They moved back to the states after Albert was honorably discharged. They had two children. After moving back to the states, Albert began his crime spree back up. Mm. He was robbing places, but now his acts were becoming more sexually motivated. Mm-hmm. He would tell women he worked for a photographer, and that he needed to take measurements. Mm-hmm. He'd offer the women money, and more money if they were nude, of course. Mm-hmm. He'd then say if they had sex with him, he would make sure the photographer would pick those women. Sure. 
So it's we see it with casting couches and all that right. other stuff. It's like prying on desperate younger women who yes. just want a shot. Yeah, want their big break. Yeah. Right. And after a handful of women, the police got wind of the fraud mm-hmm. and acts, and the newspapers started calling this person the measuring man because mm-hmm. he would like measure them. Yeah. For their sizes, and then the. But after Albert was arrested in 1961 for burglary, he confessed to being the measuring man. Okay. So in 1961, before the Boston Stranglers even started, yes. Albert was arrested for sexual assault and being this measuring man. Okay. Uh, the courts had always been lenient on Albert, even from a young age. And I think it's partly because they knew his, when he was like 12, when he was first arrested, they knew his upbringing. Yes. So they're like, we're going to give you a pass sure and yeah well <laughs> i won't get into it but hindsight is you know, yes 50 50 right so. yeah yeah <laughs> he had always been uh he had always gotten off and never served any jail time okay until 1961 when he was arrested for the measuring man stuff mm-hmm. however they dropped the lewdness charge and he was only sentenced to a short sentence for burglary what i still struggle to understand why uh oh because at this time men hated women i like can't think of anything else other than that you know oh it's literally what the entire show of law and order svu is about it's about women speaking up about stuff that have happened to them and not being taken seriously. Yeah, that makes my blood boil. Yes. Oh my god. And I think that's probably what was happening here. It's like these women came forward about him. He confessed to it, mm-hmm. but you know, there's there probably wasn't a perfect victim, quote unquote, or you know, sure, who knows? Right. But yeah, he was only sentenced for burglary, so his record only reads burglary. Yes. He were he was released. He was released from prison months before the Boston Strangler attacks began. And Albert was never suspected because he was never charged with sexual behavior. He was only charged with burglary so that he wasn't even like on a list of some sort to yeah. be questioned. Oh my gosh. Albert was known as a whole other name after the Boston Stranglers began. So he was the measuring man. Yeah. We're going to get into a whole other set of sexual assaults that he's attributed to. No. So within the year after the murders stopped, so those three months that the Boston Strangler murders stopped. Yes. Albert was arrested for rape and dressed in a green workman's uniform. He would drive around until he found an apartment parking lot. He would look at all the bells on the building to find a woman's name. Mm. And he would buzz the apartment and say he was there to fix a leak or some other kind of handyman issue. Yes. She would let him in so he could turn off the water in the basement or whatever bullshit story he came up with. Yes. And instead, he would tie the woman up and sexually assault her. He was known as the green man since he was always wearing a workman's clothing. Sure. That was green. And he assaulted the young woman. He assaulted young women, older women, and anyone that 
would answer the door, basically. He would sometimes apologize after he attacked the women. And this is when he confessed to his sister-in-law that he killed a woman on accident when he broke into her apartment. Mm. He broke in to rob her. He he told his sister-in-law that he only broke in to rob her. We know he was there to sexually assault her, but he told his sister-in-law that he was there to rob her. Uh, Albert was referring to an 85-year-old woman in Boston who died of a heart attack. So they never attributed her to anything else because she died of a heart attack. Her name was Mary Mullen, and she was found on June 28th, 1962. But again, the police didn't think it was foul play because she died of natural causes. He told his family that the police were after him, and sure enough, the police tracked him down and arrested him. However, it wasn't for the woman with the heart attack before the green man rapes and he was sent back and forth between a mental hospital and jail which lasted until he confessed that he was in that he was the Boston Strangler so I know I just like a lot of information is it making sense like yes okay yeah I think I'm tracking okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) gosh he's been busy yes and not in a good way not in a good way at all Wow, that's crazy. During all of this, Albert was still married, but when he was arrested for the Green Man attacks, he, his wife took their kids and left the moment Albert passed the cops' questions about the murders. Okay, good. He never saw his wife and kids again. They literally picked up and left the state, and no one ever saw them again. Like, they, she just peaced out, which, good for her. Yeah. Like, that probably, I mean, that was... I'm sure really hard to do too. Oh my in that god, day yeah. And age. Like it's hard to do now, to right? Like, be a single mom. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the 60s. In the 60s. That would be gosh. She's brave, yeah. Yeah. Albert really thought that confessing would make him famous and rich. That's why he confessed. He confessed to using his green man ploy to get into the apartments of the Boston Stranglers victims. He knew the color of one of the victim's couch, whereas someone mistakenly called it brown. Albert corrected her saying it was blue. So that's kind of why they started believing him about these murders. Yeah. He described the positions he left some of the victims. He described items in the room and the clothing. But with all of his talking and confessing, the police couldn't link one single piece of physical evidence to Albert DeSalvo. So even though he confessed, we still have no evidence yes. that he did any of this. So we just have a confession. So it's kind of like... I hate that. Yeah. There weren't any witnesses. Yeah. None of the fingerprints left at the scenes were Albert's. Nothing connected him to the crimes. Like, not one thing. And that left the prosecutors believing Albert wasn't the Boston Strangler. And he just wanted his fame. Yeah. But he knew... Like, they didn't think it was him, but they thought he knew who it was. Okay. Like, he was close to someone where they would have told him, so he knew. Yeah. Skeptics also state that Albert studied the newspapers reporting, you know... 
and repeated it to police and lawyers after like there's so much news about this and i'm sure at the time the police weren't holding back anything because they wanted to catch him so badly sure um and as much as he got right about the murders albert did get a handful of things wrong like the time of date for one of the murders, the item used for strangling another victim, etc. Like there were little sure. things like that that didn't match that up. Didn't match up. Mm. And because all of this, Albert was never charged for the Boston Strangler case, no. and instead was only charged for the Green Man attacks. Okay. It makes sense, but that makes me sad. Yes. <laughs> because then I know it's not over. <laughs> No, that's what's so hard. It's just like everything's so circumstantial, right? And yes. then we have these idiots who want to confess to something that they didn't do. Right. And we've seen that before and time and time again. So it's yes. kind of hard. You have to have evidence. You just have to. can't imagine like what kind of a person too would want their 15 minutes of fame to be about murder. murder yeah you know yeah horrible oh that's yeah that's so that's terrible so albert was found guilty for the green man raves he was sentenced to life in prison which is a good thing yeah so a lot of i, I know like a lot of prosecutors and stuff will drop certain charges yeah that are maybe a little more iffy sure and then just stick with one that can prove that will get you life and then Yes. Later on the road, if he does somehow get parole, they still have these other this other case that they can still sure. charge him with. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was sentenced to life in prison in January of 1967. A month later, Albert was part of a three-man crew that escaped from the state hospital. A full-on manhunt was underway. All three men split up after they escaped. Albert disguised himself as a Navy officer and visited his brother. He was out for approximately like 36 hours okay. when he was arrested at a shoe store. And the owner of the shoe store recognized him because of all the Probably media. not the best time to go shopping. Not even a little bit. I don't know what he was thinking. Oh my God. You know what that reminds me of? The, you know the, the high security prison in Chicago? Downtown mm-hmm. Chicago? Um bring it back to high school those glorious days humanities Mm. you know when we took the architecture tour um around chicago yeah do you remember that um obviously we went different years but when i went yeah literally someone had just escaped from that (laughs) prison and like i don't yeah i should look it up again too because i don't even know i'm sure there's details on how we managed it too right but like i mean the windows are they're so skinny. Tiny. I don't know how anybody can get through those windows. Right? The only thing I can think of is the outdoor space. Obviously, it's a city, so the outdoor yes. space is on the roof. Uh, That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But similarly, when I was... Because I went to Roosevelt, which is literally five blocks yes. from the prison. Yes, yes, yes. I was in a uh, foreman analysis class when two people escaped from the prison, too. And I'm, like, looking out the window, being like, I can see the prison. <laughs> this oh is, like, wild. High security prison, my ass. <laughs> no, you're right. I should look that up. I, have not, I haven't even thought about, like, figuring out how they did it. I'm right. curious. Yeah. We, well, we, we should look it up. <sighs> yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he was arrested at a shoe stop. The owner recognized him and called the police. But as they waited for the cops to show up, 
the owner asked Albert, quote, did you strangle those 13 women? Yeah. Unquote. And to the owner's recollection, Albert responded, quote, I honestly don't know. I know I did some of them. Unquote. The police arrived and arrested Albert. He was sent to a maximum security prison in Massachusetts. I don't know how much you know about serial killers and stuff like that, but there's, I don't want to say a lot of times, but there is a handful of times that, like, in prison, serial killers will get into, like, art. Like, they're, uh-huh. they paint or they, you sure. know. Like, uh, John Wayne Gacy painted mm-hmm. and sold his art to make money for in prison and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, I don't know who's buying this art. Yeah. But, you know what? Cool. Albert made jewelry okay specifically women's jewelry and a chunk of the jewelry were like chokers no yeah which is gross like read the room right i hate that so much on so many levels yes oh my gosh i just thought was a creepy detail but like i again who's buying who's buying it i don't get it gross anyway albert was stabbed to death in prison six years after he was arrested a few hours before having a meeting about the truth regarding the boston stranglings Mm. which is you know we we can get into conspiracy theories if you want but that feels like a a good moment for some cue you know yes build up to that moment and then yeah it's a good cue music right there absolutely yeah i maybe Um, it was someone who was like we don't want the truth out so let's kill him to get rid of it you know yeah who's to say but yeah uh he had, he had a meeting set up literally the next... He had a phone call, like, I think it was a Sunday, to set up a meeting on Monday morning. Yeah. He was stabbed Monday morning, just hours before that meeting, about the truth. Mm. Whatever the truth is. <laughs> um, Just backtracking, though, as well. The fact that he didn't know if he did them all. Yes. I just... I feel like... You would know that <laughs> as a murderer. I feel like you would know if you murdered 13 people. Well, there are, of course, many theories about the Boston Strangling since, again, no one has technically been arrested or convicted for the murders. Sure. Like, technically, the cases are still open to this sure. day. Uh, oh but as a whole, law enforcement believes Albert was the Boston Strangler. Okay. It's kind of just agreed upon. Yeah. But one theory is that Albert was not the Boston Strangler. An inmate with Albert claimed that he overheard another convict coaching Albert about the details related to the murders. Mm. Albert's defense attorney believes he was the Boston Strangler, which I think is funny. I don't know how to say that. Uh, Albert's own defense lawyer said he was the Boston Strangler. Uh, It's my guy. It's him. Right. And he even wrote a book about it called The Defense Never Rests. So if you want to read that, that's out there. Yeah. Another uh, author, Susan Kelly, believes there were multiple murders. On July 11th, 2013, 
Boston police announced that they found DNA linking Albert to Mary Sullivan, one of the Boston Strangler. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, she was the final victim. Yes. So police did DNA testing on Albert's nephew, which came back as a match to Y DNA. And Y DNA is passed through direct male lines sure. with little change. Sure. Uh, this gave police enough evidence to exhume Albert's body and run a DNA test. The seminal fluid found at the scene of Mary's death matched Albert's almost 50 years later. Which is kind of nasty to think about, too. Just yes. the fact that it's still... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 50 years later. Yeah, gross. It's still there. Whatever. Uh, so now we have evidence linking, finally linking someone to at least Mary's murder. Wow. Okay. So there's a theory that I found that I really like. Yeah. There was a man by the name of Charles Terry who was arrested for the strangling of 62-year-old Zenovia Clegg in New York City on May 30th, 1963. He used a scarf of hers to kill her. Mm. The crime scene felt familiar to Mm -hmm. a uh, New York detective and realized it resembled many of the Boston Strangler's crimes. The New York City detective reached out to the Boston PD. Sure. They kind of set up a meeting. Okay. But I think by this time, Albert was already arrested. So like Boston was, Boston PD was like, we already have our man. I don't need to go talk to this Charles Terry yeah. It's a it's whole... Baloney, but, yeah. You know. Yeah. All right. All right. However, if you look at Charles' timeline, he was living in Maine, where two women were murdered in similar ways to Zenobia. But Charles was never convicted for their deaths either. Mm. And to get away from Maine, he moved to Boston, where he lived until the day after the sixth victim was found. Many believe, especially the New York detective, that Charles is actually the culprit for the first six Boston Stranglers victims. Those women were all over the age of 50, and the fabric used to strangle them was tied in a specific way that I was saying. Yes. Like the, kind of like a bow. Yeah. And after that, the ages and races changed. Oh, yeah. And the NYPD aren't the only ones who believe Albert didn't commit all the murders. So that's sounds like he didn't even think he committed all of them. So that makes sense. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Even with the DNA evidence linking Mary's death to Albert, John Moran, the detective that first arrived on the scene of Evelyn Corbin's death, our first one we talked about in Salem. Yes. Yes. He doesn't believe Albert killed Evelyn. Okay. He thinks it was a copycat or somebody else. John believes it was a 25-year-old man who was staying at a friend's place nearby Evelyn's. He believed the man broke into Evelyn's apartment through the fire escape where there were two donuts left behind. Mm. When investigating this theory, they found a witness who said this man and his friend bought donuts that morning and the man put two in his pocket before he left. And the following day, the man left town with a 16-year-old girl and drove to New York where they were picked up by police. The 16-year-old girl said he acted strange and slid down, like, while he was waiting for her to get in the car, he, like, slid down in his seat in the car to, like, not be seen by anyone. Unfortunately, 
John couldn't find any physical evidence, so the donut, I'm calling him the donut man. Yeah. He was let go because okay. they couldn't connect him to anything. Yeah. But John never believed it was Albert who killed Evelyn Corvin in Salem. Okay. He asked a question, Albert himself, but was denied by Boston police. John believes there was such a desperate need for the killer to be caught that they just took whomever came yeah. first, especially since the police didn't have any evidence at the time. So, uh, I mean, I, I understand that. Yeah. Of course. But that's just, that's tough. Yeah. So what do you think? That's where we're going to leave it. Wow. Do you think it was all Albert Salvo? Do you think it was... This person in New York and Albert. Do you think yeah, Albert had nothing to do with it? I I could believe. Oh gosh, that's tough. Yeah. Um. I could believe. It sounds like Albert could have done some of the murders. I. It seems like he could have. He could have been the kind of guy that. Um, once again, for his you know, 15 minutes of fame, mm -hmm. whatever, could have heard about these other murders, murders and yeah, could have kind of done the copycat thing. Yeah. If he was already, unfortunately, you know, sexually assaulting women, then right. it's just one step further. Right. And not a big step. Yeah. Especially if he, like, torturing animals and killing animals as a kid. Like, right. Yeah. It all kind of seems to line up there. But yeah, I don't, I, I would agree it doesn't seem like it's all him. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel, especially now that, like, DNA evidence linked him back to yes. at least marry the final victim. Yes. I agree that it would make sense for the first six to be one person and then the other group to be Albert or a mix of people. Yes. Yeah. Especially because, like, especially if the guy moved to New York afterwards, you know, like, right. and continued killing people, but it's in a completely different city with millions of people living in it, it'd be hard to connect them. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and it just, it sounds like, too, like a lot of Alberts, it seemed like he was pretty Boston-centric, too, right? Yeah. In everything that he unfortunately committed. Yeah. So. First person I've, I've read about where he's known as three different aliases, the Measuring Man, the Green Man, and the Boston Strangler. Yeah. It's... You'd hope that our system would at least do better or charge someone. Like, again, he wasn't charged for sexual assault with the measuring man stuff. Yes. Yeah. Which would have probably helped. At least the police would have questioned him. Right. Or something. But. Uh, I just, I man, throughout all of this too, I just couldn't help thinking, you know, it just seems like. This, in this day and age to, you know, the government, everyone, through our technology and everything, they know so much about us. Yeah. And yet, right, just the fact that, yeah, they didn't have, they don't have fingerprints of everyone and, you know, like, right. they can't always match. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand the DNA, but right, it just, it seems like they know, you know, <laughs> they should be able to know, you know, yes, I, I would hope at least that they would be able to find clues more quickly with all the technology that we have yeah. at least these days and obviously i understand that was in the 60s too but right uh it is it's just it's sad that yeah there are things today that we're using that i don't understand the fight against them like dna testing like dna testing helped 
link Albert to this right. victim right. by testing his nephew and things like that. Genealogy, DNA testing, I should say. Yes. And it helped catch the Golden State Killer who was loose from the 70s and he was caught like 2018 or something like that. Yes. So it's like, I don't... This, I understand people are afraid that it's like a breach of privacy or right. things like that. Yeah. However... I think catching murderers outweighs yes. certain things like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think there should be restrictions. Like, we're not using it to catch someone for stealing a loaf of bread at a bakery. Right, right. exactly. I get it. Exactly. Uh, but it should absolutely be allowed for murder. Right. Like, that's wild to me. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know. At least in my case, too, I'm like, well, I'm not, you know... They can look up my Google search history if they want to. It's not going to be all that exciting, you know? Right. Like, there's only... I'm the only Blake Lambert hack in the world. I am very Googleable. I can't yes. hide at all. Yeah, yeah. Now that I've, like, taught to, my fingerprints are in the system, I'm like, I can't do anything bad. Like, I'm screwed. But... Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I would not be against anybody taking my fingerprints or my DNA to help catch like maybe a third cousin of mine that I don't know. Exactly. Right. You know? Yeah. I know. Yeah. So what, yeah, I hope that, yes, I, I, I know that of course technology has come a long ways. So I hope that we're using it effectively. Yes. Do you think they should look into this guy in New York instead of just like leaving the case? I mean, duh. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like a, yeah. I, I guess it's hard to know. I mean, and obviously I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm far from, you know, a detective. Oh yeah. But it just feels like, yeah, they were just like, oh, well, I'm tired. We found a, you know, an option. Like, right. this is what we're going with. Sorry. Yeah. You know? I get it in the moment of an entire city being sure panic yes. and the pressure that was on the police at the yes, time. Yes. I did think of that too. Yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. Uh, but I think like certain things it's like, you can still arrest that person and charge them while continuing. Continuing, right? To, yes, look into other people. Yeah, exactly. Also, I don't think they really called for the help of the FBI, which I think is weird to me, too. It's like, or like denying the New York detective to talk to, or denying the guy in Salem to talk. You know, it's like, we just need a more open policy when it comes to communication and stuff like that yes and i'm not sure being... right there's just so many egos involved everywhere yes <laughs> it's, i hate it right unfortunately <laughs> it's just yeah okay uh, well we're gonna take a quick break before we hop into some paranormal stuff sounds good i need a quick break maybe some uh <laughs> You know, some puppy videos or right. something to <laughs> cleanse the palate. Absolutely. Yeah, go to uh, TikTok or whatever, like start scrolling for a bit and we'll be right back. So there are a handful of hauntings related to the victims of the Boston Strangler. Oh my gosh. 
but that's all in Boston. And this is a season of Salem, so I wanted to stick closer to what the season is. Yes. And I want to discuss an interesting paranormal phenomena, I guess you could say, called ley lines. Have you heard of those? No. Okay, I like had vaguely heard in passing, but I had no idea what they really meant. But generally, ley lines are a hidden network of supernatural energy that runs across the earth. Wow. So an article, and all that's interesting article puts it like this, quote, ley lines are lines that crisscross around the globe, like latitude and longitude lines that are dotted with monuments and natural landforms and carry along with them rivers of supernatural energy. Along these lines, at the places they intersect, there are pockets of concentrated energy that could be harnessed by certain individuals, unquote. Mm. So that's what ley lines are. Okay. Uh, obviously, a lot of people don't believe in them. Sure. There are people who do believe them, but believe in them, but believe they are other things, and we'll get into that. Okay. But yeah, my understanding is just like a bunch of lines going a bunch of different ways. Yeah. And where these lines intersect is where there's like the pyramids of Giza or Easter okay. Island or the heads on Easter Island, or it could just be a pocket of energy. It doesn't have to be like a monument or something, but yeah. this different big things happen when the lines crisscross. Sure. No, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. So the idea of straight lines that follow historical events and landmarks was brought up in the early 1900s. The initial reasoning for this was ancient civilizations built them on a straight line to help with trade routes. Mm -hmm. So they'd build like, you know, their major monuments or buildings on a straight line to help because sure. they obviously didn't have Google Maps to right. leave them yes. where they needed to go. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> However, this like theory didn't hold up to scrutiny since historians argued that due to mountains and other natural obstacles, people would have never moved in a straight line sure. for trade routes. About 40 years later... The idea of energy lines resurfaced, but this time the theory was that the structures were built on a straight path to guide alien spaceships. Mm. <laughs> I hate to laugh because I do believe in aliens, but <laughs> it's it's sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Um, obviously, that was met with a lot of criticism. Sure. Archaeologists believe that ley lines are just a form of pareidolia and i talked about pareidolia i think last episode a couple episodes ago pareidolia is the idea that our brains look for patterns even when patterns aren't there Hmm. yeah so that's these ley lines these invisible lines of energy sure a lot of people are just like well monuments and structures line up in a straight line because we're just it's just something in our brains that you know it's not a specific reason for it yeah sure I've been, I've been subbing at a Catholic church gig every this last month. Yes. And just being there, I just want to watch the Da Vinci Code. Yes. And then researching these, it's like, yes. that's all this has reminded me of. Oh it's my just gosh. like, yeah, I'm sure. Patterns and things leading you to another. Right. Or I think in National Treasure, they're like, 
It's a clue that leads you to another clue that leads to yes. another clue, and there's never an ending to I it. I was going to bring up National Treasure. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking about those movies. They're and so I can't good. tell you why. I don't remember. So that's a really bad segue there, but yes. No, but they're so good. And yeah. it, I know it's Hollywood and their movie yeah. stuff. They're, I could believe it. Exactly. It's, Which I, you know, it's kind of fun to like think that maybe it is true, right? Right. And I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah. I think this is just another case of seeing as believing. It's like ley lines are invisible works of energy. A lot of people, if they can't see it, it doesn't exist. And I totally get that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so today ley lines are agreed to exist in two different groups of people. So, but they act in very different ways. Okay. The first are the people who believe aliens visited Earth long ago and left ancient monuments as a secret code along these lines. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that's the premise of the TV show Ancient Aliens <laughs> on the History Channel. <laughs> yes. It's pretty much what that is. Yes. Um, I'm not going to say it's real or not. I don't know. Yeah. Could be. Right. I'm not going to spend a lot of my life worrying about it, but it's... <laughs> I wasn't alive then, so can't say for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Did aliens help the ancient Egyptians build the pyramids? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That'd be I... pretty cool. I hope so. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I still don't know how they built those things okay. and how they're the only structure still standing from the ancient world. Pretty insane. Yeah. And on sand. Yeah. Come now. There's something going on. <laughs> yeah. Truly, right? And we can't even build a decent house these days. It's, we can't build buildings that will withstand earthquakes or right. tornadoes, but the Egyptian, the Egyptians knew what they were doing. Maybe it's aliens. The other group are paranormal investigators who believe that these lines are an altered form of Earth's magnetic field okay and that energy causes a rise in paranormal activity mm. so these lines aren't aliens codes yeah. but they're more uh related to the earth sure and the earth's magnetic pole and because of that where the lines intersect causes more paranormal like ghosts and so sure, like sure, strange sure. things like that. Yes. Uh, like more paranormal stuff happens on the lines, but then a bulk of it is like where they crisscross. Sure. That's the other thought. Okay. One such line runs right through Salem, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and it's called the judges line. And it's called the judges line for the amount of judges past and present who've lived along the line in Salem. The line, the ley line, doesn't follow a specific street, but when you look at events that have happened on the line, it does get, like, a little eerie. Okay. So, again, I talked a lot about the Salem Witch Trials in this season. Yeah. And Judge Corwin and Judge Hawthorne of the Salem Witch Trials lived along this ley line. Mm -hmm. Sheriff Corwin, who lived and died along the ley line. Mm -hmm. He was also during the Salem Witch Trials. Mm -hmm. Many of the people accused of the Salem Witch Trials uh, lived along the judge's line okay. and also the accusers. The line goes through the spot where people were hanged for being witches. Yeah. 
The Hawthorne Hotel sits on the line, and it has seen many hauntings, specifically on the third and sixth floors if you want to go visit. Mm -hmm. The ghost of Anne Pooter was seen walking along the line, and she died during the witch trials. And of course, the building Evelyn Corbin was murdered in sits along the ley line. Of course. Amongst other strange occurrences in Salem. Seems like a lot to just be, you know... Coincidental. Exactly. Yeah. That's the hard thing. It's like... Okay, do you look at it in the sense that, like... Salem wasn't very big during the Salem Witch Trials because it's the 1600s. So, of course, everybody lives across this line or... Sure. That type of thing. Yeah. But also, it's like... They chose to settle there and they could have settled... 20 minutes north of there and they wouldn't be on the line then yeah so it's kind of yeah i don't know it's kind of strange for sure yeah and i like to describe paranormal as just stuff you can't explain yeah so even if it has nothing to do with ghosts or anything like that to me this is still paranormal because it's just odd no and i can't explain it right um as i mentioned the line is invisible so all of this was mapped out years later, but it does seem like a huge coincidence, like we were saying. Sure. Do you believe in, like, supernatural fields? Oh, yeah. it's a good question. I mean, based on that, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like, I need to do more research, but I think I believe in, like, energy fields in the Earth. Sure. That scientifically we just can't explain yet. Yeah. So I think they exist. We just... Don't know what it means yet. Yeah. Yeah. In Chicago, when I was working at uh, a cafe in Fulton Market, there was something called a vortex. Yeah. And there's like a plaque and everything out back. But it, um, it's basically an, it's a vortex of energy and it's in the alleyway behind the cafe I worked at. And it's called the Fulton Market Vortex. Basically, it's just a swirling vortex of energy in a very specific area, and it's where the lines cross. Whoa. Like, vortexes are said to be the spot where the ley lines intersect. Okay. And, again, they're all over the world, and I'm not going to say if I've ever felt anything. I was going to ask, yeah, if you, like, felt the energy or anything. No. I Yeah, I couldn't feel anything being yeah. there, but there have been strange things, again, that have happened in the cafe, in that area, okay. like, that is one of the sites where I've experienced one of my own ghost experiences was in yeah. that cafe. So it's like, I don't know, it's just like one of those coincidence things, like, yeah. again, I don't want to say it doesn't exist, right. because there's almost too many things that yeah. coincide. I'm going to say I don't think they're a secret code for aliens. Sure. I could be wrong, and yeah, we'll yeah. be proven wrong when aliens stop by, but Gosh. I don't think that's what it is. That but. just makes me think, too. So if you said that that was your, you said that was your first or your only ghost experience? It was my first. First, yeah. okay. So that was post Glenbar North, too, because I know yeah. Dr. King, Dr. King, Mr. King. Mr. King. Everyone's a doctor. No, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he went that Mr. far. Mr. King! Well, maybe, you know, if he listens, he'll be like, oh, thank you, Bethany, <laughs> for that accolade. Um, I know he mentioned, like, several times that he's seen a ghost in down 
you know, downstairs in like the locker area. Did he? Yeah. I did not know that. He told me that, or I don't know, not directly, but yes. Right. It's a story that. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the school was built in the 60s. I'm sure something crazy has happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Have you had any paranormal experiences? Yeah. I don't think so. Or if, if I have, I probably like reasoned it in a way that (laughs) blocked it out of your memory. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh no, that was just, you know, that was just the door or whatever. (laughs) I do remember, oh my gosh, though, this is like when I was in high school, I, uh, watched, Maybe it was even middle school. I don't remember. I watched um, one of the paranormal activity movies. Classics. Yeah, yeah. classics. <laughs> um, but then that night, there was a terrible storm. Terrible, terrible storm. And it yeah. was like my first, you know, one of my first uh, horror flick experiences, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, oh the my best God. Time to do it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was so bad. And then our, like, our basement flooded. And so I just remember being totally exhausted yeah. the next day because I didn't get a wink of sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I I don't know. It's weird. I've, every time I've experienced something, it's been pouring outside. I don't, I, it's been something I re I realized recently yeah. is that af- after doing this for almost a year now, uh, yeah, every time I've experienced something, it's been pouring out, but it's, you know, yeah, it just, I think with all the paranormal stuff too, and not that, you know, I, I'm definitely, I wouldn't say that I'm huge into all, you know, all right. of that, but yeah, it just, it makes me wonder if it's. Yeah, you know, as you kind of mentioned before, right? If it is just like our human brains, like trying to reason, right? Right, yeah, trying yeah. to make sense of something that otherwise doesn't make sense in a world, yeah, where, as you said, we don't know everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, or what it is. It's yeah, it's fascinating. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. <laughs> All can follow haunted hometowns on social media for photos related to each episode, guest info, and upcoming news. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, and share the podcast to all your friends, family, and coworkers. You never know who loves true crime or ghosts or has a ghost experience of their own and want to find a space where that's accepted. Yeah. Uh, Our little ghost club. But um, I'm adding new interviews and videos to the Haunted Hometowns Patreon very soon. Check that out. Guest of the pod, Tyre, again, like I said, walked through Chicago, visited ghost sites with season one. So you're not going to want to miss that. Um, and that's only on Patreon. And I'd love to hear your paranormal experiences. So please email me your experiences on hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from your rocking horse neighing to a paranormal investigator showing up to your house and asking to check it out since it was the scene of a murder. Let me know. And Bethany, do you want to tell them where they can find you online, where they can... Upcoming music shit that's happening? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. Well, let's see. I, I'm not... A, I don't have a huge... Um, a huge social media presence, but I did just start a new website. So mm, if you want to mm-hmm. check me out or, you know book me for any upcoming you know yeah. wedding or <laughs> anything else that might be happening in your life big party um 
That website is bethanybrewermezzosoprano.com. Perfect. And I'll post that on Instagram and stuff like that so you can find that out. But yes, uh, even if it's like a Sunday, uh, you know, you just want to eat ice cream and listen to music. Yes. (laughs) Let me serenade you, please. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And um, I will see you all in a month for a brand new season. I am very excited to tell you about but I don't want to spoil anything. So I will see you all then because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song is by Ty Air. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. I got my information from Wikipedia, Salem News, Wattpad, the Boston Strangler serial killer documentary, Ghosts and Murders blog, Haunted Salem by Rosemary Ellen Gilly.